God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hey everyone, this is Jason. I just want to come on and say a quick word of thanks to the following people. Angie Hornbuckle, Bo Hoffman, Bill Carr, Bruce Porter, Seth Price, Danielle Nagel, Eric Howell, Glenn Seipert, Joshua Lawson, Kaylin D'Elia, Carrie Pruitt, Kim Johnson, Kyle Butler, Steve Austin, Tiffany Wright, Tim Nixon, William Alomar. These are our superstar patrons over on Patreon that help make this podcast happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We could not do what we do without you. You help us pay the bills, keep all the expenses covered to keep this podcast going, and you help uh, me dedicate time towards writing and being a creative force. So thank you so much for allowing me to do what I do. I couldn't do it without you. If you have not become a patron yet on Patreon, please go to patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes and sign up today. You can sign up for as little as $1 a month and you get some perks in exchange for your support. Thank you so much. Now on to this week's episode. My guest today is Dallas Verity. Dallas is one of the co-hosts of the Shipwreck Over Safety podcast, which I love and you will too. I hope you'll check it out. Dallas, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it. I'm really glad to finally talk to you. We've talked to each other a lot online over the last several months, yeah. but this is our first actual conversation, so I'm excited to get to share it with everybody. Yeah, it's really cool. As Just as a fellow podcaster and trying to find our way in the podcast world, it's been super encouraging to connect with you online and listen to your podcast and the journey that you've gone through. And yeah, it's not only with you, but with some of these other guys online through Facebook has been a really cool community of not necessarily local podcasts as most of you guys are in the States and I'm in Canada, but that's right. You're the one with actual decent healthcare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully we do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's really neat because, you know, going through, I guess, what is commonly referred to as deconstruction can be so isolating and so lonely. And Facebook can be such a circus. Yeah. But some of the best relationships I have have been born on Facebook or social media. And so I'm so grateful to meet folks like you who have been through on a, a similar journey, but aren't cynical. And so I'd love to dive into how that happened for you. Uh, can you help us get to know you a little better by telling us about your upbringing? Well, some of it actually connects a little bit more to, I guess, pre- pre-birth or whatever. I I was adopted at birth. That's a big part of my my story. And because growing up as an adopted kid, there's a whole lot of question or, and fear and all sorts of things around identity. Did you always know that you'd been adopted? I always knew as, as okay. far as I was concerned. My parents always made that known, but also made sure I knew that I was, you know, I was a verity. There's nothing that was going to take that away from, from me. I was their child. Good. They they chose me. They wanted me. So that was never the issue, but there was just all always, as, and things I'm learning as I connect more with other adopted children and adults now, that there's just a lot of underlying trauma and identity issues that that a lot of us have to walk through so um and part of that for me was actually about six seven years ago connecting with my birth family and and learning some of that kind of meeting some of that birth family has kind of brought some of that full circle but yeah so I adopted at birth so dealt with some of that growing up but the the home that I was adopted into definitely an evangelical, like your fairly typical Canadian evangelical 
upbringing. So for me, I was raised within the Christian and Missionary Alliance and like literally like born into that congregation and spent my whole life going to church, a lot of youth group, Sunday school. As a young kid, I was pretty early identified as like, hey, you have leadership abilities. We think you're called to be a pastor. And then I, you know, kind of wore that label and was like, yeah, like I, I feel that calling too. And that was from a pretty young age, it became pretty evident to me that that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was called to do, to work in pastoral ministry within the Alliance denomination. After high school, ended up going to starting my bachelor degree in youth ministry at a local Briarcrest Bible College and Seminary in Saskatchewan here, which also our mutual friend Brad Jersack also went went there, has some education there. And yeah, so I started that degree program, but then was kind of pulled out to do some, I was kind of the first in that pr- degree program back when they were doing youth ministry. They found a lot of youth pastors burning out and, and leaving pretty quickly after like the, within the first two years, a lot of men and women were, were leaving. Oh, exactly. And, a, and a, whatever the 120 hour internship just isn't going to cut it. So I was kind of their guinea pig. They're like, well, we need to change this and fast. So would you be willing to do like an extended internship? So it was essentially like an 18 month full-time internship. So I did that and still decided I wanted to do what I was going to do. And But internships don't pay. So kind of branched out and did some other work as well. At one point, so I was doing the internship and I was also, or shortly after the internship, I took a youth and young adults position at the church that I had grown up at within the Alliance Church that I was raised in. And at that time, there was, or I, I ended up filling in there because our our previous youth and young adults pastor had ended up having an affair on his wife and kind of left left the church real quick. And he's actually a guest on our first season. And that was quite an interview. We, we kind of cleared the air on a lot of different things, but I ended up being brought into, I don't want to say to clean up his mess, but that was what ended up happening is a lot of people were hurt and confused. There wasn't a whole lot of clarity around the situation. So they brought me in to do youth and young adults and just dealing with a lot of hurting people. And this pastor was a close friend of mine and spiritual mentor. So I probably wasn't in the best place to be the one to, to take over for him, I guess, as a new, as a fairly new guy out of school. That's a lot of pressure for you. How did you respond to that? Yeah, not well. So I ended up doing that job. And then I also picked up another job. And then at the same time, like doing landscaping at the same time, I also was taking seven classes at school because I was like, oh, I'm going to be a full-time pastor here. So I need to finish my degree real quick. So I ended up taking seven classes, um, was working multiple jobs, including the the full-time pastoral job moved to part-time. But it never, or the pay and expectation technically never line up. So so I was just working so hard. And then my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh, no. And I, at that point, I believed that pastors were meant to be extroverts and you had to just give, give, give. And, and I way overdid it. And that sent me into a spiral of depression. And, and at that point, especially considering my background, there was not a whole lot of information or or at least not correct information on what depression and mental health were, especially within the church. So I torpedoed fast and and I didn't know what was going on. I had no words for it. What did that practically look like in your life? So 
I just started hating people. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I, I didn't want to be around anybody. And as somebody who like loved to, to serve people and carry other people's burdens, that was hard for me because I, I didn't know why. And now I realize a lot of it was a natural defense system of, that my body was was trying to set up because I was way over overdoing things and not taking care of my own physical, mental, spiritual self. So I remember the one day I ended up calling my my aunt because I was like, she's she had lost her husband at a young age, and and I I knew that that she would be somebody who could resonate or at least maybe have a chance at knowing what this darkness was like this this heaviness that I had in my spirit. So I called her and she at that point lived in British Columbia, half a half a country away. And she caught the next flight out that she could. So flew halfway across the country. We met in Denny's over coffee. And I pretty sure I sobbed for hours and hours. And she was like, yeah, you know, you need to go see a, a professional. You need to go see a doctor. You definitely are dealing with some significant depression. So dealt with that. and. Part of that included quitting my job at the church and kind of focusing a little more on my my own mental health. And how hard was that for you to step back from that role? I think at that point I was it was just so chaotic that and I had a really good boss at, at that point. The senior pastor was really understanding and supportive, and he was like, "If there's a way we can keep you in this role, or if you need a break, like he was he was really supportive." And I, I'm super grateful, and probably one of the only reasons why. I remained hopeful or positive whatever working a pastoral job again was because of his approach to it. Good. So he, he handled it really well. Okay. So yeah, and then I kind of took some time off and thought, well, oh, I'm going to, you know, work in some parachurch organizations because at that point too, I was just seeing the church was not, I was starting to ask a few more questions and a few, having a few more struggles. And as I dove more into my Bible college education, I was, you know, really asking questions, wanting to know answers why. And struggling with, yeah, a lot of things to do with my faith. So I thought it was good to take a bit of a break and just focus on studying and reading and making some money. That was honestly part of it. What did the, okay, you talked about what you did on that break. How long did that break last for you? Well, I never did actually work a pastoral job after that. Okay. So it was not a conscious decision to never go back at that point. No. But you thought you thought of it as a break. Right. But you just never ended up back in that role. Correct. And gotcha. And th- I'm sure this is leaving out a obviously a ton of my life story, but kind of fast forward until um, 2016-ish. I not not quite 2016. Just before 2016, I ended up. And at this point, I was like, "Yeah, I'm never going to be a professional pastor again. That's not not what I want to do." not what I feel called to anymore or whatever. And I got a lot of conflicting. Anytime I had mentioned that some of my evangelical friends, one of the things said is like, God never removes a call from your life. Like, right. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Right. So you, you like, you better not like, this is one of the, the worst things you could do. I remember a missionary had told me that and I'm just like, wait, what? And I was like, tried to absorb the information, but it was just like, caught off guard by it. And they're well-intentioned. They're just trying to make sure you don't turn out like Jonah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up working at a, and currently, this is my this is my current job as well, as a youth care worker for individuals with cognitive differences. So a lot of time they would be on the autism spectrum disorder, and they would have usually some immense amount of trauma involved in that too. And, and 
all different forms of diagnosis. So essentially here, at least in Saskatchewan, the old way of dealing with, especially, unfortunately, a lot of the way that it, it, it works out is Indigenous kids who have faced trauma and no social supports, who have some other kind of cognitive difference, they would end up not even that long ago. Well, obviously, we like dealt with the residential schools here in our, our history. It's like a we like to criticize the states and the way that they deal with racial issues. But Canada has like the darkest of spots and it's passed with residential schools and, and genocide of Indigenous people. So this continues to happen today. And, and we see the over like the generational effects of, of the trauma. So these are a lot of the individuals that I work with now and I have now for, I guess I've been employed there for almost eight years now. And it's, this has also played a huge part in my faith journey, just allowing for some new nuance and, and even just my old way of thinking with evangelical, like my uh, uh, evangelical upbringing that you need to say a prayer to, to go to heaven and, and all these things. And then I, I meet these individuals who can't speak and they can't communicate effectively. And a lot of time, and if, some of the worst stories that you that I've ever heard, but there's still I remember just like these are they're not my kids and they're not I mean some of them are my age, but they're just like I just see the image of God in them and I learn so much from them, even though they can't speak, you know they can't speak any language that we understand and they they'll never be able to say a prayer, they'll never be able to do read their Bible or any of these things, and yet some of the lessons I learned from them just teach me things about Jesus that I never could have learned without knowing these, these individuals. So even though they're not my kids, they're like my kids. I, and I mean, I spend as much time with them most weeks than I, than I do as much time as I do with my own family, my own children's. So your current role, have you come to a point where you feel like maybe you are still pastoring just in a different type of ministry? That's definitely been a lot of my, whether it's through the podcast or different friendships or even at work, not just with the individuals I work with, but my coworkers as well, fellow caregivers, I do genuinely like, I genuinely feel that I'm still serving in pastoral ways, just not being paid by a church or not within the structured four walls of a church. But yeah. Yeah. The kind of things that you're talking about doing, especially at your job, and I've heard your podcast and you definitely do it there as well. I mean, that's the real ministry, you know? I mean, I, I served in institutional church for all, over 20 years, and there were times when I just felt like so much of what I did didn't really qualify. If ministry is the administration of love, Yeah. so much of what we did in church really was more programmatic than that. But what yeah. you're talking about in the workplace now, and, and as I've heard firsthand on your podcast, man, that's the real thing. That's real ministry. Right. Yeah. And, and some days it involves like, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's like literally washing their feet or, or cleaning up their, you know, like some of these guys wear, you know, will wear depends and uh, they can, or they can't eat properly and things like that. And, and it's just, and the amount of like medications and stuff they, that they're on and just the immense trauma again, in trying to relive that stuff, like you just, it just opened my eyes to a whole new world that, I mean, I, any form of judgment I had for people before I can no longer hold because there's just incredible people who look, sound, act nothing like me, who are carrying just as much the image of Christ as, as I am. So isn't that incredible? Yeah, it's been, 
quite a journey. Gro- growing up evangelical, at least in the circles that I was raised in, we're almost conditioned to see evil and fallenness in everyone around us. But it really sounds like God is conditioning you to see Christ in everyone around you. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. And and I mean, some of that has to do with, it's a deep feeling I've had in my heart for a long time. But then thankfully, I've met so many people, whether or not in person or via listening to podcasts or reading books by, you know, people like Jerzak or I, they put, can put the language um, And your podcast is one of those that can put the language to kind of my, my heart's feelings and the cry of my spirit for how I want, how I want God to be and how I want to view the world through the lens of, of God. So, all right, I want to take a step back for just a minute and talk um, a little bit more about the adoption that you brought up, that you were adopted at birth. You said that identity issues were a factor early in your life. How did those manifest in your life? For me, I think it was a lot easier than my my sisters. So I had two younger sisters who were adopted at birth as well. So my mom couldn't have kids. So she adopted, they, my parents adopted the three of us. So we all came from different homes and all with our various histories, whether medically or or otherwise. And I think that I quickly connected my adoption to my faith. In fact, I have sermons somewhere out there on the internet or on cassette tape from back in the day <laughs> where, 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 I, where I preached on, on adoption and how that identity was connected, how it took my like literal adoption and made connection with, with my faith that way. So the identity issues there didn't come in as much until later in life, I think. But for my sisters, I saw them walk through major major issues with with identity and 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 some of that all comes through too when you meet your birth family if you if that's a choice that an adopted person chooses to make and and again I was super fortunate some of my family well in fact I'm taking a a road trip with my one of my older brothers this week we leave on Thursday it's like a yearly trip we now do that we go to watch Canadian football in a different Canadian city and because we cheer for the same team. So we, we do that once a year. But I also met some of my family who I don't get along with as well. And and that always adds to things. But when it comes to the identity, I, I think there's always that thought in the back of your head. Like, why didn't this person choose me? Right? Like, why? Even though it didn't manifest in behavior for myself when I was younger as much, there was always like, a, I think, an underlying fear of like, if I mess up, will this family choose not to love me too and even though that those messages were never ever passed on from my parents or anybody else in my family for that matter those are just always kind of underlying thoughts like you you want to know why somebody chose to give you away right or when people sometimes are some sometimes people ask insensitive questions especially children or around that adoption thing like do you ever want to meet your real parents is a common thing or whatever just language that is so important that i think could cause more more positive or negative effects on on kids than we really think about. So, so the questions that you had about why your biological family had made the decisions that they made, were you ever able to resolve any of those? Yeah, a, a lot of them actually. And the way that my situation worked out, I didn't really know where any of my birth family was, I or even 
who all was out there. My parents had made a rule that you couldn't meet your your birth family. This is for myself and my my sisters. Couldn't meet our birth families until we're 18 years old. And I respected that. And I still respect that as a as a decision my parents made. But just before my 17th birthday, my my birth mom had passed away. And the way that we found out was that my grandparents happened to be going to the same church that my birth mom used to go to in a completely other province in, in Canada. And they just saw an obituary in the in the church bulletin that was like, oh, her name was Bev Swanson. So like, oh, Bev Swanson passed away. We know that name. So they connected with the number that was attached there and, and like, oh yeah, this is definitely Dallas's birth mom. So then they called my parents right away. And then my parents connected with my birth grandma, who was also living in a different province, and then found out that this was my birth mom. So they had given me, so at this point, I would have been just about 17. And they asked me if I wanted to meet, or not meet, sorry, go, they got permission for me to go to this funeral out of province. And they're like, it's up to you. But at that point, I was not, it was not on my radar as much. I did not, I was not ready. And I didn't want to traumatize anyone at their mom's funeral, like my siblings. So, so I chose not to meet them. But then as a result, my birth family sent me a binder of, so I'd always been a poet. I'd, I loved poetry growing up. That was one of my, like, I didn't journal as much as I, I like to draw and I like to write poems. So um, they sent me actually a binder filled with my mom's, my birth mom's poetry, and then a, a binder of pictures of the, the birth family as well. So I got a little bit of a, a glimpse then. So I started to, my imagination and curiosity really started to grow then. As now I had this, a little bit of information into who I, where I came from. So, but then I still, I waited about, I guess it would have been about 10 years before I chose to officially meet them. And then that was kind of, so I, I found that to be like definitely a God ordained thing where, well, I, even saying that, I the, using the phrase God ordained, I don't even know anymore, to be honest. But it seemed like such a an incredible thing, coincidence or, or fate, however you want to put it, and it, that my grandparents ended up going to the same church. And then they ended up, I didn't know this, but then all of my birth siblings ended up moving to the same city that I live in now, which is Regina, Saskatchewan. And I didn't know about this. And I had been working as a janitor at a local elementary school and somebody I or sorry I ended up working at this Martin Collegiate and they it it also happened to be yearbook day or whatever so I at this point I knew my birth siblings names so I'm just flipping through the yearbook with all the other janitors on a break and or custodians and flipping through and all of a sudden I see these pictures of these twins and I see their name and it's it's Corey and Ashley it's the, the names of my two of my younger siblings and I just start crying. I'm just sitting in this custodian office on a work break. And I just start crying in front of these rough and tumble like custodian guys. And they're wondering what the hell's going on with me. And we make the connection. I'm like, oh, well, these are my birth siblings. I've never met them. And I was just like an emotional, like I, I was so happy to see that they were near me and doing well. But yeah, they ended up. So then that was kind of a, a piece. And then that that same month, my wife was working as a teacher's aide in a local school and she had looked on one of the teachers Facebook profiles you had mentioned earlier about the positivity about Facebook community and this is one of my reasons why I will forever even though it can be a cesspool one of the reasons I'll forever be grateful for it so she had seen a picture of 
this teacher, Sean, with what looked to be in the profile picture next to me. And she's like, what? Sean has never met Dallas. This is weird. She clicks on the picture and then she sees, oh, oh no, this is like, this guy's name is Nathan, but it looks just like Dallas. So she asks Sean at work the next day and he's like, oh yeah, no, that's, that's Nathan. That's my best friend. And he, yeah, he's, he has an adopted brother out there somewhere. And she was like, yeah, no, I think that's my husband. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. So then she shows me this picture. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's him. That's his name. That's, that's the guy. So then, and then all within that same month too, I was asked to be an MC at a wedding for a couple that had gone to Martin Collegiate, found out that they knew my birth siblings. So we just made the decision. Like we need to, I was like, I, I can't do an MC speech with like siblings I've never met sitting in the, the audience there. So we need to line this up. So we, I reached out and we decided to meet and yeah, things went incredibly well. And I actually have two older brothers named Nathan now, and they're some of my best friends. So needless to say, things worked out really well on the, on that end, but. That's incredible. Uh, what a story. My goodness. That's awesome. Let's talk a little more about your faith. So you mentioned being raised in kind of an evangelical context. Um, I think you said typical Canadian evangelical, which I don't really know what that means. You know what? It's it's probably pretty similar to American, just not so much. The nationality isn't, or nationalism isn't quite entwined with it, but it, it's still there. So basically the same as here, just minus the flags and guns? Pretty much, yeah. But there's there's okay. definitely a growing movement of flags and guns here too, unfortunately. How has your faith changed since that upbringing? Well, I think... I always kind of tried to buck the trend a little bit growing up and even in the way that I taught when I worked as a youth and young adults pastor that was I tried to leave room for nuance and and encourage people to ask questions and really when it all came to like I'd say the biggest head was I was still kind of holding on to this like hope that at least within my denomination I was raised within that I could still you know be changed from within that I could serve the church from within and, and in kind of change some of these views, whether it was at that point I'd, I'd realized and read and learned from brilliant people just to do with, you know, my, my queer siblings and, and friends that there's, that there's a space at the table for them and that just reconciliation was being done horribly here in this, in our and still is in, in my opinion in this province to do with again indigenous people and i was at a a fairly affluent well a very affluent church a lot of wealth flowing through it in in the city and again the same one that i was born into so i kind of it all <laughs> even as a canadian i found donald trump has ruined a lot of things and he kind of <laughs> sparked a big change for me as well so i was working as a youth care worker. And so now I felt like, especially with, you know, you talk about the Enneagram, I'm, I'm a six with a five wing. So I'm always in my head. I'm always thinking, always proactive, trying to see things happen before they, they actually happen. And that made me exceptionally good at my, at my job that I do currently as a youth care worker, because you're always having to watch for dangerous situations and environmental scans, trying to keep everybody safe. So it made me very good at that job. And now I'd come to a place where I'm like, oh, I'm never going to be a pastor again because I've 
I've found my job. Like I'm satisfied. I guess is the best way to put it. I was completely satisfied with where I was at. And along with that, I was pretty confident. I'd say arrogant or cocky in a lot of my, my views to do with faith and theology. I'd kind of had all my, my sacred cows all lined up and I, I was pretty confident about a lot of things. And at that point I was also as a Saskatchewan boy or in general Canadian guy, hockey's a big thing. So I was playing in a rec hockey league and which I've I've played hockey since I was a young kid. And I ended up getting in a fairly like serious traumatic injury while playing hockey. So I felt I, I kind of got checked, tripped, whatever, fell into the boards awkwardly and went kind of head, neck, shoulder first and I knew I was hurt, but I didn't know to the extent of how hurt I was. When I got hurt, I originally was thinking, okay, like I pulled a muscle, I'll probably be off work for two weeks. And again, just remember like my confidence in who I was and what I was meant to do and my own abilities was was super strong. Like I'm like, I'm going to run this organization one day because I'm, this is how good I am at it and all these things. And then one day doing something I love playing hockey, I get hurt and was thinking it was going to be a two week thing and I wasn't getting better and I wasn't getting better. And the biggest thing for me was excruciating pain all of the time. I ended up being off work and then having operation or an operation on the shoulder and things weren't getting better and they weren't getting better. So they start prescribing heavier and heavier narcotics and opioids and you know, like I'm off work for longer and longer. And, and I ended up in the end, I ended up being off for two and a half years off work um, with a chronic shoulder condition. A lot of this too was realizing that was, was getting mad because I was, I had found what I was good at. I was supposed to be a youth care worker. I was going to, you know, I was going to run the organization at one point And I like, I was so good at what I was doing and now this happened and now I can't do what I love to do, what I'm good at. And everything changed, I think at that point. And while I was off, I was doing lots of reading and thinking because that's all I had because I couldn't couldn't move much. I couldn't do a whole lot of anything without setting off my nervous system. Then 2016 happened while I was off. And at that time, that church that I had been attending my basically my entire life was looking for a youth and young adults pastor, or sorry, youth and children's pastor again. And they had they knew that I was off on leave. So they asked me and, it, and I'd been teaching like a men's weekly Bible study I had all this time anyway. So I'm like, yeah, let's look at Romans. Let's break it down. Let's look at whatever. So we had like a, a great group of men who got together weekly and no curriculum, really just dive into the word. And that was productive and great, great for me as well. But I was approached by this church to be, to apply for this position. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to be like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they kept pushing and pushing and they're like, like you really should. We think you'd be good for this, and and then finally, like they, and, and I'm not trying to say like they convinced me or forced me, but they that was part of the the process. They'd take me out for lunch and they'd be like, "Yeah, you really think you'd be a good fit?" So I finally was like, "You know what? Maybe this is, maybe this is what I should be doing." So and like and again, thinking I can change, I can change things from the inside, and maybe this is exactly what I should be doing. So I apply for it and end up going through the process but in the meantime we have the american elections and and i start seeing this like crazy support by white evangelicals including people from within the congregation i was going to at the at the time the church and i 
And I started to call some of that out and say like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, so I, I got more vocal online. And then I was told before my interview that like, if I, if I wanted a shot at the job, then I need to delete my posts and consider being quiet because this, this particular church is a wealthy, more conservative voting church. And if I wanted to teach their kids, I needed to kind of fall in line politically. Ooh, wow. So they practically begged you to take the position, but then told you you'd have to be silent about things you felt passionately about. Right. Wow. So they're, and they, they're like, and, and that was kind of how I called them on. I said, well, no, like this is, I thought you wanted me for this job. Not you, you wanted all of me, not just that. And like, Oh no, no, we still want you to call out injustice and stuff, but no, this is one area where we're just, we're not telling you not to now. We're just saying, tone it down. Just stop for a bit at least until, until we know who gets the job. And, and, and I, that made me very uncomfortable. And then things kind of fell apart there pretty quickly and the interview became, uh, it was kind of one of the individuals basically just torpedoed the interview by going after my, the things I was saying about Trump and that I was bringing disunity and stuff. And, and that, so basically finished the interview, wrapped up, and I had conversations with the people in the interview and with the leaders of that church as I wanted to leave well. Even outside of not getting that job, I quickly just realized that this was no longer going to be a good fit for my family and I and any place that wasn't going to accept me and my gifts and passions for what I for what they were then I, I I might not be it might not be the place so we ended up leaving there and connecting with like a, a local church plant which was a lot smaller like a lot smaller a really beautiful congregation that was really ho- focused on doing healing work so healing healing the heart and healing past wounds and uh it was exactly where i think my family needed to be at the time yeah so we we made good great community there and but that was just another whole another eye-opening experience because it was a completely i grew up within one denomination knowing that you read all the same old white dudes or who's on your bookshelf these are the so-called fathers of the faith and and this is who this is who you read for the truth and you go to alliance colleges and you do these things and now i'm in a new more like a completely different church stream and i'm and i'm learning completely new ways of doing things and and seeing okay so what what does this mean how does how do you come to this and then i really just again just dove in and was like okay how do i why do we do things the way we do regardless of whether it was the alliance denomination or this new denomination i was connected to and then started talking to people with completely different church experiences and how why do you do things the way you do in your denomination and just some of it was really beautiful and inspiring but some of it also just like terrified me and made me realize that like <laughs> we all think we're doing things right and it just causes division and uh, so what did you learn about the church just like the church at large during that season what were the things that terrified you that we can become so disunified when trying to find unity with smaller groups that any anything to do with flags like when we're we're putting up a flag on one side or the other whether it's a denomination or not like I'm not, I'm not saying denominations don't have their purposes or anything but just a lot of us are just it has less to do with the church and more to do with humans like i think like we're the product of where we're born and, and are raised but then i think i think a lot of it it's just there's far more nuance to things than than i was raised to believe if that makes sense or maybe nuance isn't the right the right term but even 
so like even being honest with my so with my chronic pain struggles right like there's two things i never thought i'd do before when i got hurt that kind of so i i never thought i'd do yoga or and i never thought i'd i'd garden those are things that i thought were dumb and beneath me and when but when i was hurt and unable to work i i needed to find hobbies and i needed to find something to help me feel better and those are the two things that are now like staples in my in my life yoga and and gardening those are like just beautiful things that i never never imagined doing how have those things helped you so i was always taught that yoga was like a gateway for the the devil and right yeah <laughs> we talk we have an episode with some brilliant local local uh yoga practitioners in in season one of our of our podcast and they i learned so much from them not just in, in that podcast episode but like in walking through life with them they've now become friends and that yoga is actually just like <laughs> completely well it, it can be completely harmless and actually a super productive like why does it need to be not of god when it's actually like if we believe that all truth is god's truth then yoga is a brilliant effective way of people finding healing and then gardening just the the slow therapeutic work of caring for something and maybe some of it has to do with it because i was used to caring for people at at work and then now had to care for something less high stress, I guess. And then you can always, you get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. For me, that's mostly insanely hot peppers. But <laughs> yeah, I've enjoyed that. Another area too, and I'm always told to be cautious about publicizing this, but I, so again, when I was sharing part of that chronic pain journey, I kept getting, like I was doing experimental treatments from like their things that haven't been tried very often in North America. I had a, a board in the States look at my case, a, a board of doctors, and they couldn't find answers. And for me too, like it was struggling through some of that, like what does healing mean and why the hell isn't God healing my shoulder? And I literally had like hundreds of, of people lay hands on me and hundreds of people around the world praying for healing for for my shoulder and and uh nothing happened there however i experienced more practical tools and and help within my yoga class my weekly chronic pain yoga class than i did from any of the healthcare professionals or or from and and, and maybe that was god's answer to prayer was lining me up with yoga but i you know there was no miraculous healing which i have experienced before but just that that nuance around around prayer and around healing and how that works and actually another piece of that that nuance things where i've learned that things that i was taught growing up were evil or bad there's some nuance there that there actually is like we can find healing and and healthy use of things within proper boundaries and stuff so i eventually had to get off of my those heavy narcotics and cannabis had been mentioned by by a lot of people for for a while and I was so hesitant to to dive in there but eventually I was so desperate if if somebody told me that injecting diesel fuel into my eye would 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 help would help my shoulder I would do it in an instant there's there's I was genuinely looking at ways to like is there a doctor who can possibly remove my arm so that I don't feel this pain anymore like I I was getting I was getting desperate and and then any of the opioids would render me completely like a puddle so so yeah, there's a doctor who was like, "Okay, you need to 
will you try this? So I ended up trying that and, and, uh, or trying cannabis as a, as a pain relief. And now I'm off of, I have been for, for well over a year now, completely off of all of my narcotics and opioids. So, and this isn't to say that, <laughs> that it's for everybody, but cannabis has been a game changer for me. It's, it's completely giving me back quality of life. So, so when you were going through all the pain, did that impact your faith? Uh, did you start to feel abandoned? I mean, you mentioned the healing and I, I know how exhausting it can be to have, you know, hundreds of people laying hands on you and then not seeing the fruit of that, at least immediately. Right. Well, and sometimes I felt like I was betraying God by by doubting every time somebody laid hands on me. He was like, oh, no, well, these people are super holy and they laid hands on me and nothing happened. So why, why are these hands going to be any different? And two examples of growing up where I was miraculously healed in, in instances where and I've prayed for somebody and seen miraculous healing and I I've seen that connection and been like okay I know God can do it but he's not right and and if I'm being part of the story too is like part of my healing story when my first daughter was born so my mom battled with ovarian cancer and multiple rounds of remission and stuff but she ended up passing away three weeks before my first daughter was born so, so that was, that was, I mean, I, I, I'm just finding more and more as I reflect on life, everything's connected, right? And go, walking through that, that journey. And, and so I ended up taking like a month off of work just to be in palliative care with my mom. And that was one of the, the greatest things I've ever experienced. One of the hardest things as well, but I, I talked openly and honestly about faith and about death with my mom, but losing her three weeks before rattled my faith like crazy because the one thing my mom always wanted to be was a grandma a grandma and so so that took a lot of wrestling with god a lot of angry shouting matches and you know like you control all of eternity and you you know you can't you can't spare three weeks so this woman can hold her grandkid you know so there's a lot of anger and processing you need to do there and you know read all the i'm sure not all i read a bunch of books on healing and like trying to figure out and, and trying to figure out why God didn't answer this the way I wanted to and I wanted him to. So that was always in my head too, with the shoulder thing. It's like, okay, here's just another example of where God is leaving me, is abandoning me, but that is not where I sit now. And, and, and part of it actually was, was going to a, a little not, a conference, uh, seeing Brad Jersak speak in the, in Regina here. And he wasn't just there to speak. He was there to, to pastor people. And that's something that I appreciate about him so much is that he's not just, he's not just invested in putting his work out there. He's invested in pastoring people through that. And that was part of my conversation with him in one of the breaks, working through some of even just the theology behind, did God, like, is God mad at me? Is that why I'm hurt? Is that why I'm not healed? healed? Because that, that was what was ingrained in me as a kid, is if, as if there's if there's something that you can't be healed by, there must be some like unrepented sin or it's, it's my fault somehow. And that was such an incredible thing. Just having Brad look at me and be like, no, like God is not mad at you. This is not punishment. Talking through some of those things that like, actually God is, is with me more in, in this situation. He's, he's never left my side. And, and if I'm open to being taught through this process, there will be lots that I can learn. And that's, kind of where that healing journey has left me is that is like 
I mean, if I hadn't been go, if I hadn't gone through this with this chronic shoulder pain, I wouldn't have learned some of these things of nuance. I wouldn't have been able to discover yoga or meet the friends that I've met through the the Bax program, where there's a chronic pain yoga class, or wouldn't have discovered gardening. I wouldn't have had I had my my entire first year of my second daughter's life. Like I I had her first year of life off with her, even though I was a little bit on the the slow and unhelpful side, I was still around her. And because of that, I was able to, like, while I was off, we started up a podcast and was able to read more. And there's been so much beauty in inner healing, kind of in some of that healing has taken place in can kind of leaving evangelicalism behind. That's been a, a, a lot of this process. It hasn't been, so my shoulder isn't healed, but I've healed some of those, you know, some of those inner wounds and the wounds in my heart and and spirit that that needed to be healed. So, and I'm still working through a lot of that. But yeah. So it, you really have kind of described a, a lifetime of deconstruction. Do you think of the deconstruction of your faith as a season that you've moved beyond now, or is that an ongoing experience? I would say it's it's ongoing because I keep. <laughs> keep having conversations with more and more people and learning more and reading more and listening to podcasts that really just challenge preconceived. I think the biggest thing is not holding all of my theology and my views with an open hand, not, not going in with like complete certainty. And through that, I mean, I'm learning, I'm learning about so much from people who, you know, from Muslims and Hindus and atheists and from evangelical Christians. And from like, I'm, I'm just finding that I, I'm not going in with my guard up as much that I can actually learn. If I truly believe that every, every bit of creation holds the image of Christ, that that means that there's things about Christ I can learn from everyone. Yeah. It's, it's been a good, a, a good thing though. I'd say. You mentioned Brad Jerzak as one of the people that's been influential in your life. Uh, what other writers, speakers, or thinkers have been uh, contributing to this season of your life? Well, I ended up going last October to the Evolving Faith Conference in North Carolina. Mm. And oh my goodness, what an incredible what an incredible weekend. Unfortunately, I w- I'm unable to go this year, but a lot of those the, the authors and speakers from there, so you know, like Rachel Held Evans and Sarah Bessie. Sarah Bessie's new book I've already ordered and I can't wait because it, she talks about her own chronic illness and deep sorrow with death of her friend Rachel and uh, like I I'm so excited for that and talks about miracles in that book so and just her even in the last couple months here her choosing to leave her congregation that was non-affirming that I know how hard of a decision that is to make let alone to to model that publicly yeah I definitely resonate with a lot of what they're doing uh Caitlin Curtis Austin Channing Brown Will Gaffney Pdens, just so many incredible pastors, authors, speakers that I'm learning from it, and and podcasts. I mean, I'm I've I've learned a ton listening to to your podcast. Can I say this at church? Um, liturgist podcast, the airing of grief is another one. Yeah, I it's that one has been season one for that was really I think really important for me to hear. Then I then I had to kind of cut out for a bit because I there was a whole lot of deconstruction and and it, I mean and you've mentioned this before too and 
and uh, Jerzak as well as talks about a little bit like so but how long do you stay in that deconstruction and what part do you start kind of rebuilding and and reshaping and reforming and so I had to <laughs> some things I can take in spurts and that was one of the podcasts that I had to take a bit of a break from because <laughs> a lot of there was a lot of I understand why but I had to take a break from I don't even want to call it negativity, but too much stories on deconstruction without any form of like rebuilding. I understand completely. There's so much for us to learn from podcasts. And you mentioned some great ones. Uh, One that you left out is yours. And I love your podcast so much. Tell me how that came into being and where the name comes from. So my co-host Blair, Blair and I both played in very different whatever you screamo metal bands back in the day. So I, I admired Blair and his band. I wanted to be like, be like them that they got me into music. And, but I was never super close with Blair growing up and we're a couple years apart as well, but kind of as I started publicly sharing some of like my questions with the church or or great quotes that I'd read that would kind of call certain systems within the church or theology call out some of those things or, or question them, then Blair had reached out and be like, hey, like we actually, I really resonate with things you're posting. And this was shortly after he was kind of fired from a pastoral job and was really processing some of those things. And he, he's like, let's, let's hang out. Let's get together. I'm like, that'd be great. So came over, we had a beer in the basement, in my basement. And then we were like talking about faith. And then we started hanging out a little bit more and just talking through some of these I guess without having the label of deconstruction, talking about some of the the things that we had learned in our various denominations and Bible schools that we're kind of starting to re relook at and consider. And it felt like AA for the church is what it felt like. Just just an ability to have community and safely talk about those some of those things. And the conversations we found were quite deep and enjoyable. And then there's other people who were like, Oh, you guys are hanging out. Can we Next time you hang out, can I come visit with you guys? And and we decided that we're like, what if we did a podcast? And we were super hesitant at first because we're like, there's a whole lot of podcasts by white guys out there who like theology and and talk about church. And so at first we're like, no, we don't want to do that. But then we also just realized that there's a whole lot of people, even in our circles, who are asking the exact same questions and are having these same struggles. and with church and with faith and and we just decided that you know what the worst comes to worst like the three friends that we know want to have these conversations are going to listen and if if it's going to help them feel more comfortable in asking the questions or seeking out answers then absolutely we it's worth putting out there so yeah we decided to do that and we're both i think like to procrastinate well i definitely do so kept putting it off and putting it off and then finally we're like let's just do it let's let's buckle down and get it done as a procrastinator i uh, I have to admit i'm also i'm in year 15 of a four-year degree at a bible college that no the the bible college still exists but the degree does not exist anymore they're there but they're allowing me to graduate with that old degree two classes left and one of the last ones will be a class with brad jerzak so it's such a fitting way to end the degree. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. <laughs> One of the most inspiring books and authors, pastors, prophets that we uh, both resonate deeply with and appreciate his work is Jonathan Martin. And, and his book, 
How to Survive a Shipwreck. I read that at the perfect point in my deconstruction, I, I guess, and started listening to his podcast and following him online. And like, I, I, I don't use the, I try not to use the term profit too often. And I, I have some hesitancy around that, but I just feel like Jonathan Martin's one of those guys. And his, his book there was just super healing for both of us. So we're like, well, how can we, cause we want to talk about some of these things. And, and for Blair, who has like, I guess I don't want to speak for him in this moment, but has said at times that he's probably more agnostic. Like he want he, he loves the idea of Jesus and what the church could be, but is kind of done with the rest of that and is unsure at times. And I'm like, well, how would you describe that? And one of the biggest terms we said was shipwreck. It's literally like your life is heading to shipwreck when your whole community and everything tied to your identity is connected to church and the work you do in the church. And we just decided to say, to call it shipwreck over safety because that was part of our own journey is like, it's safe for us to sit in the basement and talk about theology and these differences and justice and doubt, but it's actually, and we've, we've realized when you put it out on the internet, it, it can lead to a bunch of shipwrecks. So whether that's in relationship or just making you further think things through and that's been, but it's worth it. And that's, that's where we, we believe that it's really worth it to have these conversations. Have there been negative consequences for the two of you in putting that kind of transparency out for the world? You know what? We've, we've got a lot of very positive feedback as well. Um, so I don't want to just, and that's, it's, it's really hard to not focus on the negative, but we do get some negative messages and, and we do say like, if you disagree and want to push back, reach out. So that isn't to complain about that. So you invite that. We do invite that because we do want to have conversations with people we disagree with as well. So and they, they don't always end well, but we, yeah, we definitely get a little bit of both, but we're trying to be okay with the positive and the negative feedback. One thing I want to ask you about, I really want to talk about what you told me before we went on the air about what you're working on for season two. But before we do that, I, I just have to ask you with everything that you've shared, how are you not a cynical bastard? I mean, you just, you have the right based on all of the crap that you've been through. You just have so many excuses to be bitter and angry at God and at life and at the world, but there's so much compassion in your voice and, and you've got these eyes to see Christ everywhere. How does that happen? <laughs> Inside my heart, I'm still a cynical bastard a lot of times. So <laughs> I, I have to, so it is there. So it's, it's just under it's, the surface it's there, but I'm trying to remove it more and more as I go along. And I think that a lot of that again, just comes down to this, this term nuance. And I've realized too, and just some of it's just after seeing, getting in so many arguments with Trump supporters and stuff like that, is that I'm not convincing them of anything and no, no facts or whatever is going to convince somebody that, that they're wrong and I'm right. What actually is going to change is, is by, I believe like I will still speak truth. Uh, I'll still try and speak up for justice and truth, but I, I also think that it's, trying to show overwhelming love and compassion and that's where i try to live out of but again my heart is also inside i get fuming mad and and i and i snap on certain people but it's it's not easy and i think that some of that too has come from seeing other people do that well whether that's again you're a perfect example online where where you can have these debates and conversations without flipping people off or 
and I mean, I mean, Jerzak's another. <laughs> I drop his name a lot. He's he's and he he can get intense too in calling out injustice. But I I find that he he is found and just hearing him talk about talking about Jesus and how can you not want that? <laughs> like even though I feel like I'm leaving the rest a lot of the rest behind and str- or struggling through what any of the rest means. Uh, the one constant for me is, is Jesus and going back to that, the example that Jesus showed us. And yeah, that's, that's my model. And it, and I refuse to <laughs> look anywhere else at, at this point as I'm the people that I think actually on a recent, the Zeitcast with uh, Jonathan Martin and Jerzak, some of the, the lines that they said in there too, were just resonated deeply with me in how as loving as loving as we think God is, he's more than that. So that means his way better. And so that means my enemies, which a lot of times I'll self-identify them as Trump supporters, or now we've got some alt-right political aspirations in Canada. It's, it's them and they're, you know, those are my enemies, but how am I going to, how am I going to fight that? Is it going to be with my own viciousness or is it going to be with, with love and, and genuinely trying to hear them out? And then, Again, still speaking, I still believe strongly in speaking to that, that evil, but uh, yeah, trying to catch my own tongue first. Tell us uh, about season two. You guys are headed into a new season of Shipwreck Over Safety. What are you working on for the second season? Yeah, season one was also was, was great, and we, we learned a lot, especially just how to do audio recording a little bit better, more efficiently. But some of the topics we're we're dealing with, we're just we're dealing with a few situations that are are dealing with abuse of power and and sexual assault towards women. And again, these this is not us talking. We're just sharing stories, and that's what we're really trying to focus on in the, in the next season is sharing stories from people, especially those in the margins and people who have been hurt by church or forms of faith. So that's kind of our focus there and really trying to make not just talk about it but to create actual change and call for for real change and a difference in in the lives of of those sharing their stories and yeah so and we talk with Blair's Blair's brother-in-law who grew up in in the church and was was and is is queer and he talks through that process and what it's like to be to be closeted for a while and what it's like to be outed inappropriately and and treated poorly by the church and also the hope that he has for the the church even amidst that and we talked to one of the the most amazing conversations we've had so far has been with another actually another relative of of Blair's who worked as a pastor for a long time even when he he didn't believe anymore and kind of talking through his deconstruction which has left him with I, I don't want to say zero faith but zero Christian faith there's no no connection there and especially because in our world it's it can be so natural to be terrified and judgmental when somebody walks away from the faith so to speak and and that seeing that he's okay and that he's in a place that's that's healthy and that and that that's okay and that Christians don't need to focus on evangelizing him or it was just a really really impactful conversation and yeah, and when Jerzak will be on it at one point when he's, <laughs> yeah, when he's when he's in town teaching the class that I'll be taking from him, he's agreed to come on the podcast. So we'll have to think up some big heavy hitter questions for him. Wow. Well, I'm so excited to hear these episodes of season two. I know you don't have an exact release date yet for the first episode. Do you have a time frame in mind? Yeah, by the end of September here. Okay. 
So this next month, we're just trying to make sure we have a couple ready to go. And, and our first episode, we really want to, there's a couple legal issues that we want to make sure that we're covering our, our grounds first before we release it. So Dallas, thank you so much for your time today and for all that you've shared with us. How can our friends listening today best engage with you and your work online? So pretty much all of the stuff I do now is pretty well connected to our, our podcast. So anything can be found on shipwreckoversafety.com or on our Facebook, Instagram. Well, Instagram is mostly just sacrilegious memes. But <laughs> there's, there's well, those can be valuable. Yeah. And then I'm probably more active than I should be on Twitter and Facebook. So yeah, that, that's pretty much the avenues for us. We also have made some or had some great conversations with people who just, I know Blair and I both try and keep the DMs open if anyone has conversations or questions about things. And it's actually, which also invites negative criticism and, and trolls, but I find the positive interactions that we have with individuals far outweigh the the negative, even though the negative's there and easy to focus on. And, the, and that's the great thing too, is is like there's people like you out there and so many of these other guys who have podcasts are totally willing to have conversations and try and back up what they've said on the podcast, right? Like there's, it's it's never just an end there. I find that that's the beauty of the podcast world is it's just different people sharing their stories and trying to spark conversation. I love how the continue, uh, the conversation continues online after the episode ends. Yeah. When folks just take the subject and run with it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's so good. As long as it stays civil, which it doesn't always, but I Right. Yeah, sometimes we got to toss a troll or two, but um I I'm grateful that I find in response to podcasting anyway, uh social media actually can be a real force for good, encouraging conversation. I agree. Especially when you set the groundwork or, or like lead by example and which I'm not always good at and, and just having composure and compassion for people. So, <laughs> yeah, well, man, I'm really looking forward to season two of shipwreck over safety and uh, I love what you guys do. And I hope that you guys continue to do it for a long time. So thanks for your time today. And thanks for your podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. Really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to sit down and chat with you. You've been listening to the messy spirituality podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at messy spirituality.org help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on itunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode